Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 30. Genesis chapter number 30. And let's pray together this evening. Genesis chapter 30 is where we'll start tonight. Heavenly Father, certainly it is good uh, to come to you at this first service of this new year and gather together and uh, sing praises to your name and then offer our prayers. And Lord, uh, to uh, focus our hearts and minds on you uh, for this time. And I pray that as we would open your word tonight, you'd speak to us uh, from your word through your precious Holy Spirit. Help us, uh, we pray. Uh, we certainly uh, want to start this year off on, on that right foot in that right way. Lord, I pray that you draw us closer to you as only you can and work in our hearts and lives. Be with so many that are unable to be with us uh, even tonight. And Lord, uh, we know of many. We know of the many needs. And I pray that you'd work as only you can. Bless our time, we pray. Thank you for these again who've gathered here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, uh, we uh, began uh, looking at the error uh, in this matter of victim, uh, from victim to victor. And in both Luke chapter number 4 and 2 Kings chapter number 5, we saw uh, people that were filled with wrath and rage because of error. We saw the people of Nazareth, and we saw the person of Naaman. And we found that when we're willing to listen to the truth, when we're willing to learn the truth, when we're willing to be led by the truth, God works in our lives to change our victim mindset into a victory march. Remember last week, we looked at Naaman, and he started off terrible. I mean, it, it was bad. He, you know, he, he really had that bad start. He, he expected things uh, to work a certain way, and they didn't work according to the way that he thought. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's like, oh, why is all this happening to me? And I thought it should be different. But uh, quickly he was uh, confronted now with, by, his, uh, by his friends, his servants who were his friends, who told him that he wasn't thinking right and he wasn't acting right. And so there was a correction there. And Naaman went on to find the victory simply by listening to what the Lord had said and doing what the Lord had said. And it changed him from being that, having that victim mindset. It changed him to where he now could uh, march or walk in victory. And I want you to think about this. He was not an Israelite. He was not an Israel. He was not uh, of the Hebrew people. He was uh, in and now he was uh, from that land of Syria. And those were, uh, you would say, those were opponents, adversaries, uh, enemies of God's people. And uh, so I want you to see that the mercy of God, how it reaches now to all people, it certainly does. But tonight I want us to look at another error and it's the matter, we, we closed last week uh, kind of letting you know where we were headed with part two, and it's this matter, there's an error when we chase happiness at any cost. When we chase happiness at any cost. So that's part two of the error. Genesis chapter 30, look with me at, well, I tell you what, let's just start in verse number one. 
I was, I was only going to read a few there, a couple of verses. Let's just start in verse number 1 and we'll get all of the uh, context here. Genesis 30, verse number 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead? Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of thy womb? And she said, Behold, my maid Bilhah, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her handmaid, to wife, and Jacob went in unto her. And Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me, and hath also heard my voice, and hath given me a son. Therefore called she his name Dan. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again, and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. Now verse 9. When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. And Leah said, A troop cometh, and she called his name Gad. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a second son. And Leah said, watch this verse, Happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. And we'll stop reading there. But I want you to see there's been this ongoing struggle. First, there was a struggle between Jacob and Laban over uh, Jacob. Uh, of course, he loved Rachel and he wanted to marry Rachel. And so he, he talked to Laban about Rachel. And Laban said, work for me seven years and I will give to you Rachel. So Jacob says, all right. He's so smitten with her. He works for seven years. He does what he's supposed to do. Now remember, Jacob's the one who tricked his brother out of his birthright. Okay? And so now he's worked seven years and uh, the seven years go by and it's marriage time. Let me just throw this in. Always stop and verify the product before you sign on the dotted line. You know the story. Jacob goes in. He's now married. He comes out. Uh Uh-oh! Wrong sister! So now... Now, he goes to Laban. He goes, what in the world did you do? You gave me Leah. I told you I was in love with Rachel. Well, Leah's the oldest, so she had to get married first. And this is an honorable thing to do. Work for me seven more years, and I'll give to you Rachel. And so he does that. And so we can look back, and we can see that Jacob was a uh, conniver uh, of sorts, and he was a trickster of sorts. And now the tables have turned on him. But look at the strife now that follows him in this life. Now he's got two wives. You don't have to read far in the Bible to see that having two wives isn't a good idea. And these two wives become jealous of each other. Imagine that. And so they start having a contest. Who can give Jacob more kids? 
And they're just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now Rachel can't have any children, so she devises this plan. She's like, okay, well, I've got this handmaid, and I'll just um, let her step in and be my surrogate. So she does that. Well, now all of a sudden, she has a couple of children for Jacob, and now Leah realizes she can't have any more children. So what does she do? She steps into the same error. Now you see what Rachel said. She said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. Now Leah was not going to be outdone. And so she follows along in this scheme. And by the time we get to verse 13, after now uh, Zilpah has, uh, has bore now to Jacob two sons, Leah says, Happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. Now, I want you to know something. In verse 13 is where we find the word happy in the Word of God for the first time. But notice, Leah wasn't chasing holiness. She wasn't pursuing wholesomeness. She was looking to do whatever she could do just so she could say she was happy even if what she did was wrong. She wasn't looking for God's blessings. She was looking for the people's approval. For the daughters will call me blessed. So she continued in wrong actions. Verse 12, Leah's maid bear Jacob a second son. And so we see what Leah was truly looking for. Verse 13, happy am I for the daughters will call me blessed. Now, from this, what we back up just for a moment, and, and uh, you say, well, I'm not going to get in the same situation that she did, but let's uh, infer some things or take some things from what we see here. Those who are unhappy with their situation often take wicked measures to chase happiness. I'm discontent with where I'm at. I'm discontent with what I have. I am just plain unhappy, so I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to get that feeling of happiness into my life, even if it means I need to follow on after sin. And now, those who do that, when they're unhappy with their situation, when they take wicked measures to chase happiness, if they're successful, they're tempted now to turn around and justify their course as being blessed by God. Rachel said, verse 6, God hath judged me and hath also heard my voice and hath given me a son. uh, God hadn't judged Rachel. Now He allowed this to happen. It was, we would say, the long-suffering of God, the mercy of God that allowed this to go on. But you can't turn around now and say that this was God prescribed. This breaks all sorts of rules that God had already established. So-called success in sin is never proof of divine approval. Oh, I sinned and, you know, and I did this and nothing bad happened, so it must be okay. No. And again, never mistake what God may allow in His long-suffering grace and mercy for God's approval of sinful methods. Now, I know you know that tonight. But oftentimes, 
we, this, this feeling of unhappiness will start to uh, settle into our lives and we're willing now to compromise, to change, to drift, to walk away from thus saith the Lord, to follow after something that's not of God just to make ourselves happy. Or just, and it makes us happy if other people look around and say, wow, God's really blessing them. Well, you didn't know the reason that I'm, you know, that I have so much money is all the meth that I'm making and selling on the side. God's blessing, you know, not, not me, not, not me. Just in case you were worried about that tonight, not me. Success in iniquity tempts us to repeat it again and eventually causes us to start chasing the glee of perceived happiness instead of considering the guilt and painful hurt of considered sin. You understand the devil is a master deceiver. And what he will do is he will put in front of you this so-called opportunity for happiness. And I guarantee you it will not last. But, but hear it tonight. God desires that you, you come tonight and you're like, well, you, preacher, are you saying that we'll never be happy again? <laughs> no. God desires for His children to be happy. But He never directs us to chase happiness. He directs us to pursue Him. And you say, well, why? Why is that? Here's the truth. You know, whether you look at this from a Bible standpoint, whether you look at this from a secular standpoint, the truth is the truth. I mean, this is, this is one, uh, one instance where uh, the world and uh, the godless world gets it right because it lines up with what God says. And here it is. Happiness is never found by looking for happiness. Do you understand tonight if somebody asks you, asks you the question, are you really happy? The first thing you're going to start to do is ask yourself that question. All of a sudden, there goes your happiness. Because all of a sudden, you'll start thinking of reasons why you shouldn't be happy or you aren't happy. Happiness is never found by looking for or chasing after happiness. In fact, if you live your life only chasing happiness, it will not only corrupt you, but it will consume you and eventually it will crush you. We are watching this country come apart by the, at the seams because of this matter of the pursuit of happiness. You realize that has become the primary thing in the world today, in our country today. Happy at any cost. Wait a minute. You say, but, but that's in the founding documents of the country. Yeah, and there were a couple of words that came before that. Life. Liberty. Now remember, use not your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. The Bible, we have freedom. But that doesn't mean that we just can run off and frolic in sin and that that's going to be helpful for you and for me. The matter of prioritizing the pursuit of happiness is the devil's bait that leads headlong into selfishness and despair. Well... You don't understand. This world is such a better place because of all the freedom now that everybody has and all the rights of the people that everybody has. Then why is depression and suicide on the rise? 
at all-time high. And I'm telling you, it's because people are chasing happiness as their sole priority. Turn with me to Psalm 144. Psalm 144. Let me just drop this in as you're turning. If you're one who, at the present time, has that victim mindset and says, well, I, you just don't understand, preacher. I don't know that I could ever be happy again. I, I want to help you tonight because, again, this whole study that we're doing is this idea of moving from victim to victor. Yes, there's victory in Jesus. Why don't we live that way? Why don't we think that way? Why don't we act that way? Psalm 144. I want to give you three biblical principles about finding happiness. Again, you don't find happiness by chasing happiness. You'll never find it. In fact, every time you grab for it, it'll slip right through your fingers. Three biblical principles about finding happiness. Here's number one. Happiness is not found in what you pursue, but who you pursue. That's principle number one. Happiness is not found in what you pursue, but who you pursue. Look with me. Verse 15 of Psalm 144. Here's our word. Happy is that people that is in such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. You want to find true happiness in life? Just chase God. Just seek God. Selfishness allows greed. Selfishness allows gluttony, uh, greed and gluttony, to rule instead of relying upon God to guide. Matthew chapter 6, you don't have to turn there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. That's a pretty simple statement. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then a few verses later in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He says, All these things, food, clothing, shelter, will be, shall be added unto you. You know, there's an agenda. There's this global agenda uh, going through in our world today, this globalist agenda that says that the world is overpopulated. And there is this World Economic Forum. This is not tinfoil hat stuff. This stuff really happens. You can really look it up. There's this group of billionaires. They got money upon money upon money. Most miserable looking group of people I have ever seen in my life outside of some independent fundamental Baptists. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just miserable. Just look terrible 
And you say, well, what are they doing? They're chasing happiness by saying that the world would be a better place if, you know, 90% of the population was gone. Here's my thought. You start. (laughs) You go first. I I mean, these folks, they're just constantly, you know, they've got more money than they could ever personally spend in their lifetime. If they spent as much as they could every single day, they'd never go through it all. Because the interest that they make on the money that they have, it just keeps resupplying what they spend. You say, oh, I know how they could spend it. They could just give it all to me. Well, that's one way, but let me tell you, that ain't going to happen. You know why? Because they've got so much money they could never spend it all, but they're scared somebody's going to take it. And they're not satisfied with what they have, the little that they have. And they're always looking for more, and they'll bankrupt you in a heartbeat to get it. I'm telling you, I've known people uh, through the years who have... Uh, let me just say it this way. I've known some good, godly people that God has blessed with good, good, good wealth. I'll say it that way. You say, who is it? Well, see Brother Robert after service. And <laughs> Robert's like, what happened? Really? <laughs> It's like somebody pinched Robert, you know. Back to reality. I've known some people who who God has just richly blessed and entrusted with just volume upon volume of, of, you know, money and, and, and things in this world. And they have turned around. They've been such good stewards of those. And they've not... Uh, just tried to selfishly hang on to everything, but they've tr- used now what God has given to them now to provide to other people. And, and I'm thankful for those, but I know a whole lot more folks who've got money and they're miserable. And the more you get, the more you need, and the more you want, and the more you worry about somebody. You know, it says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. You realize, you know, and... Don't ever fret yourself about these folks that got all this money. Because they got a payday coming someday. And I hope they, I hope, I hope, I hope and I pray that the grace of God reaches them and, and their eyes are opened and that they see that they need to be saved before it's too late. That's my hope. But the direction that they're headed right now, this is the best their life will ever be. And you say, well, I'd like the opportunity to try to have that much money. I promise you be just as miserable as they are. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It doesn't say seek first your happiness and then think about God. It doesn't say seek first the kingdom of God and His happiness. It says seek Him and His righteousness. See, you can look for, and we're all guilty of this, so just go ahead and Set the halo aside for a few moments. You can look for happiness in the things that you buy. My wife and I discovered on the the free TV channels that come as part of our 
television that we have that you can stream through the internet where you can watch the these shows we we found they have a 24 hour a day hoarders channel i can only watch about two of those in a row and then i got to stop and i just want to you know call the dumpster guy and throw everything in my house out but but when you when you when they talk to a lot of those people and they they just I mean you can't go through their home for the mountain of stuff I mean there's just things everywhere and when you when you listen to them talk what they will say is uh, or you'll find out is every day they got to go to the store and they got to buy something else and bring it home because they get that happiness in that moment that they buy something but it doesn't last it doesn't stick. So they go and they get more and they get more and they get more. Hey, you can look for happiness in the things that you buy. Those things will break. You go buy yourself a brand new car. Best advice somebody ever gave me. If you ever have the opportunity to buy a brand new car and you buy a brand new car before you ever drive it off the lot, walk up to one of the fenders and scratch it. Because you're going to worry about that first scratch that you get on that car. And when you get that scratch, all of a sudden the news wore off. Just go ahead and spill a coffee in the floorboard. Go ahead and track some mud into it. Go ahead. Because I'm telling you, it's going to get dirty. It's going to wear out. It's not going to last. Eventually that new car smell goes away. Let's see, I had the opportunity to buy my truck new had some miles on it, but they sold it as new. And uh, when I bought it, it had that new truck smell. Five years later, no, now it smells like one of them little tree air fresheners. <laughs> the new car smell wore out, but you know what? I'm still happy with it. Why? Because it's reliable and it gets me from point A to point B. And, and I, I, you know, I'm not, now I'm going to go out there and the battery's going to be dead and three of the tires are going to be flat. But you know what I'm saying. My dad, he, oh, there was this one year, years ago, he wanted so bad this, some of you all will remember this. It was in the late 1970s. My dad bought a brand new, brand new Ford Maverick. They should have left it a car, by the way. So my dad buys this Ford Maverick. What color was it? Blue. My dad liked blue too. It was blue. And he was, man, it was a four-door car. Just I look back at pictures of, of you know, that model car and I'm like, what in the world? That was like just, just somebody put lipstick on a pig. I, I don't know. It just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't flashy, it wasn't sporty, but boy, my dad wanted that car and he got that car and he loved that car. That first winter he got into seven, I'm telling you, seven car accidents. Before those seven car accidents, we were headed out on a trip and one of the tires blew out and ripped the back fender completely off the car. My dad would never own another Firestone tire after that. Uh, that's no joke. And uh, I just find it ironic that the Lord moves us to the place where Harvey Firestone was born. You know? 
<laughs> you know, I just been thoughts in my mind, thoughts in my mind there. But uh, but he was so happy when he got that car, and it's the most miserable few months of his life. You know, with that car, the new wore up. You can look for happiness in the stuff you buy. You can. And I'm telling you, I'm not saying that you buy things and that they don't make you happy. But don't chase that happiness. You might be happy in that moment, but expect it. Just realize that's going to wear off. You can look for happiness, Brother Robert, in the size of your bank account. As I look around, most of you are looking at me like I have never found happiness in the size of my bank account. We're all here in good company tonight. But can I tell you, it'll leave you broke if that's all you... It'll bankrupt you. You can look for happiness in yourself. You can look for happiness in some other person. And it'll leave you broken and bitter. The more you seek happiness, the more it will slip through your fingers. Or... You can look to God and you can be led by God and you can live your life for God. And guess what happens? You'll be blessed with happiness. Why? Turn to Psalm 146. It's like one page away. Let me read you a verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Remind you. This is what the Bible says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Not just gain, but great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. You know that there's one thing that you can take to heaven with you. Other people. One thing the people that you witness to, you share the gospel with, they trust Christ, they come along too. Psalm 146, let me give you the second one. Happiness is not found in self-help, but in steadfast hope. Happiness is not found in self-help, but in steadfast hope. Psalm 146, verse number 5 Here's our word again. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Looking for happiness by trusting in the help of self or stuff or someone else will always leave you terribly sad. It might last for a season, but it will not endure for the long haul. Jeremiah chapter 17 And verse number 5, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Well, there are a lot of people in this day that are doing that. They're trusting everything and everyone other than God to help them. Verse 7 of Jeremiah 17, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter number 3. Proverbs chapter number 3, just a few pages away. 
Proverbs chapter number 3. While you're turning, I'm going to go ahead and just start reading the verses because you know which ones I'm going to read. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So first tonight, happiness is not found in what you pursue, but who you pursue. Second, happiness is not found in self-help, but in steadfast hope, our steadfast hope in God. And third tonight, happiness is not found alone. It is always the result of something else. Happiness is not found alone. Again, you don't find happiness by chasing happiness. Happiness now is not found alone. It's the result of something else. Look with me at verse 13 of Proverbs chapter 3. Here's our word again. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. Notice it didn't say happy is the man that findeth happiness. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Also, it does not say wise is the man that findeth happiness. It's important that you see that. Happiness is not the prime objective. Happiness is, watch this, the byproduct. Happiness is the byproduct. It is a provided outcome. It is a pleasant result of a right pursuit. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 7. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Proverbs 4 verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Not one time to say anything about happiness in there. But can I tell you, when you get some right wisdom and some right understanding, you'll find some right happiness as a byproduct. Let's get some understanding tonight. Let's get some things straight. No. Let's get some understanding tonight. Wisdom is not simply knowledge. Wisdom is the successful use of knowledge. Just because we know something does not mean we know how to rightly use the thing we know. I know that was a tongue twister. I was going to bring uh, some props tonight, and I didn't. But you all have a good imagination, so think with me tonight. Let me try and illustrate this. I know, I, I have the knowledge that a hammer is the right tool for driving nails into wood. I know that. The hammer is that tool that's useful to drive nails into wood. I know what a hammer looks like. I know what a hammer costs. I know what a hammer is made out of. I know the difference between a toy hammer and a real tool. I have some knowledge of hammers. I have spent quite a good bit of my life in the hammer aisle. 
at Lowe's or Home Depot. Man, you, you just would not understand. You, you wouldn't believe how many different kinds of hammers there are. I got all kinds of knowledge about hammers. I know what they look like. I know what the price is. I know what they're made out of. I know what you use them for. But if I grab that hammer by the wrong end and begin, now if I tell you that I'm, I got wisdom when it comes to hammers and I grab that thing by the hammerhead and I start trying to put the nail in with the handle, you're going to say, you, that's not very wise. You would, you would not consider me to have any wisdom about the working of a hammer. What if I, what if I, uh, I know how hammers work. So I'm going to get one board and I'm going to lay another board on top of it. And I'm just going to get the hammer out and start pounding on that top piece of wood. You're going to say, you, you have, you really don't know how this hammer works. Those two boards aren't going to stick together. You say, I don't have any wisdom when it comes to hammering. What if I hold the nail upside down and start hitting it in the, would. Now some of you are sitting there going, I would call you just a plum idiot. And you'd be right. What if I decided I lay the hammer down just right and balance the nail on it and grab the board and hit it that way? You'd say, are, are you getting the picture? All right. Let me bring it, bring it all into our message tonight. Now that you, now that you see that. I can know that happiness is good. I can know what happiness looks like. I can know what happiness costs. I can know what happiness is made of. I can know the difference between fake happiness and real happiness. But if I don't know how to rightly pursue happiness, I'll never possess happiness. I'll never have wisdom when it comes to this matter of happiness. I'll have knowledge. I'll have no wisdom. So if we're going to be wise about happiness, we have to stop looking for happiness alone and start pursuing the things that happiness accompanies. First, now don't get busy writing because these are the three things that we've already talked about. First, happiness... I'll give you something to write in just a second. Happiness is not found in what you pursue, but who you pursue. Here's what you write down. Seek God's hand. Happiness is not found in what you pursue, but who you pursue. Seek God's hand. Our second point was happiness is not found in self-help, but in steadfast hope. Write this down. Seek God's help. You seek His hand, you seek His help. Third point, happiness is not found alone. It's always the result of something else. Here's the third thing to write down. Seek God's heart. You seek His hand, you seek His help, you seek His heart. And I'm telling you, your life will be filled with happiness. Now, you still might have, you know, your sufferings and your trials and your afflictions, but remember your circumstances do not define you. Your position in Christ defines you.
You can be happy amidst the circumstances because you're seeking God's hand and His help and His heart. And Jesus said in John 13 and verse 17, If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. These three things alone, which will really consume your life if you will follow after these. These three things will keep you from harmful error and they will tenderly, truly, and thoroughly lead you from hurt victim to happy victor. Let me just throw this in tonight because I know sometimes we look at things like this and you say, yeah, preacher, that might have worked for you, but it won't work for me. Let me give you a New Year's challenge. Try it. Honestly, humbly, try it. And I I promise you, you'll taste and see that the Lord is good. You'll find happiness the right way. Let's pray.